I'm Trillia Newbell, and this is Stories of Sacred Endurance, a podcast about persevering in Christ through the ups, downs, challenges, heartbreaks, and journey of life. Every episode, we will talk to a fellow saint who can teach us something important about enduring in the faith. Pastor John Kelly was born in Chicago and raised in Philadelphia. Growing up, he spent most of his teen years in and out of juvenile detention centers as he tried not to get killed in the streets. As a 19-year-old, he found himself in prison for his role in a shooting that left a young man dead. It was in his prison cell that he received a copy of God's Word and began reading. After reading from Matthew to Hebrews, John's eyes were opened. He was immediately gripped by his sin and his need for salvation in Christ. He gave his life to Christ in his prison cell. Today, we will hear more about his story and where he is now. Welcome, John. So you have a remarkable testimony. I would love to hear you share your past as well as when you professed Christ. Yeah, so um, this is a a quick backdrop on myself. Um, uh, My my family's from Jamaica, and so um, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Philadelphia. My mother came to the country when I think she was 17. Um, She was pregnant, arrived in um, America, first time um, in, a, in the country, and uh, moved to Chicago, where my father's um, mother lived, and um, that was just, um, that was a train wreck, um, to say the least. It was just a very um, a, a abusive situation, and didn't go well. And so, you know, I was, I was born in Chicago in the middle of the blizzard in uh, 1983, and uh, my mom then moved to Philadelphia, and um, got married. And so I, I grew up um, the early part of my childhood kind of in a family structure, which was great. I, I had my stepfather there. So until I was about 10, it was me, my stepfather, my mother, and my little sister. And uh, they ended up getting a divorce when I was around 11. And everything went downhill from there. Um, a lot of my relatives uh, sold drugs and was into the drug trade. And um, you know, my stepfather was doing a lot of things that I didn't know about, you know, that this wasn't helpful for their marriage and they ended up getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And, um, looking back, I, I see God's mercy in it because it's allowed me to see and experience what it's like to be in a family and what it's like to not be in a family. Yeah. Because after that happened, my, my stepfather pretty much disappeared and my mother became a single parent from that point on with me and my little sister. And it's at that point where everything in my life just went downhill. My mom was, began working two, three jobs going to school and um, which means that she wasn't home that much and I had to grow up real quick. We ended up moving to a really poor area um, in the city of Philadelphia and I, I got exposed to everything in the street from that point on. I started selling crack when I was about 12 and uh, in crack houses um, trying to make money. I mean the house environment was pretty rough. I mean yeah. you know I remember every day we you know lunch for me was a mayonnaise sandwich and sugar water. You know, yeah. and there's times we didn't have, you know, any heat and uh, hot water. And so, you know, when you you hungry like that, and you, you know, it's just you got to do what you got to do at the time. And so I was out in the streets more. Um, I ended up getting um, arrested a lot. I pretty much spent um, my entire juvenile years was in and out of juvenile detention centers. And I didn't even realize how much I got arrested until recently I had looked over the, um, I had an arrest sheet that showed all my arrests from a childhood to adulthood. And it was 21 pages long. Wow. Yeah. I had no clue I got arrested that much. And so I pretty much lived in jail half the year as a teenager 
um, ended up convicted for the first time when I was 13 for assault. And if you could think of a troubled teen in every way, like that was me. And my mom was trying to do her best. She was a single mom. You know, my biological father wasn't in my life. He was in Chicago. My stepfather just dropped off the map at that point. And she's trying her best to raise her two kids, you know, in a tough area of North Philadelphia. And at the same time, she's trying to advance herself by getting education and make more income. And so that was pretty much my teenage years. Um, you know, high on drugs every day. Um, ended up going to four different high schools in the ninth grade. Because I kept getting kicked out, and um, I really had got to a place where I become I had became really hardened in my heart, and um, and I didn't expect to live uh, past eighteen. Um, I was always getting shot at, and my mom would always, you know, be concerned because neighbors would be like, you know, you got to get your son. Those boys over at the playground, they shooting over there, and and when I look back, I, I can't even imagine how much stress I um, I put on her. We were in a, I put my mom in a really tough spot. She tried everything she could to get a grip on me. Um, there was something inside me too that was longing for community mm-hmm. and yep. longing to belong. And so in Philadelphia, particularly in the African-American community, there's a really high Sunni Muslim population and um, amongst the black community. And so I actually turned to Islam when I was like 13. I became a Sunni Muslim. I was in one of those schools that's really like a prison that you get to go home. And I saw how the Muslims rallied together like a brotherhood and they would fast and, you know, make salat. And so I jumped into that and I was I was a professing Muslim for about six years. Um, and so just just making a lot of wrong decisions, um, just from abortions to a lot of different things I could just go into. It's just my life was a wreck. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was 19, right before I got the turn, I turned like 17, I stopped selling drugs and began robbing drug dealers. That was a plan that we had. That it was, that it was like, um, like, you know, woo. yeah, it, you know, like, hey, it, it, we're not doing anything bad because we're not robbing people like Trillia. Yeah. We're not robbing law-abiding sure. citizens. And sure. the, the logic, too, is that, you know, drug dealers aren't going to go tell. Like, they're not going to go to the cops and say, hmm. hey, someone robbed me for 10 grand and, like, you know, X amount of dollars of cocaine. And so this is what we did. And I, I can't even believe I was that lost. And unfortunately, when I turned 19, um, one of the homes of one of the drug dealers in the neighborhood, we went to go rob. And unfortunately, one of my friends shot and killed him. And so it was five of us and we all got arrested and I landed in prison for the first time as an adult. I was 19 and um, I was sitting in solitary confinement because right when I got arrested, there was so much violent crime in Philadelphia um, at that time that they had no more room on maximum security blocks. So anyone who came in with a violent crime had to go to solitary confinement, 23 and one. So you're in a cell the size of your bathroom for 23 hours a day. You had to come out one hour a day in your handcuffs and shackle. And um, that was my welcome to like adult prison. And so I, I really thought my life was over because the district attorney was trying to give us all the death penalty, um, saying that the shooting was premeditated. Even though I didn't pull the trigger, I for sure was guilty of an accomplice. And so I really just like, when you hear people talking about the death penalty, you know, regarding you, you just, you feel really empty, like life is over. And my first week in the uh, prison cell in the county jail, 
there was a um, two guards that would come by and check on me. They would knock on the door and, you know, how you doing in there, young man? And one of them was a Christian, and he would share the gospel. He knew I was a Muslim at the time. And uh, by the end of the week of him checking in, my heart just began changing. Mm. And um, I don't know, I just my heart was just ready. And um, I was so bored. I just said, hey, Mr. Otis, you got, you got something I could read? And he was like, well, I can get you a Bible. And I just was like, all right, whatever. I mean, if you'd have asked me <laughs> during the week, I would have said no. So I was just yeah. like, yeah, I was so bored. I was just yeah. like, yeah, go ahead, give me a Bible. And uh, I remember he took, like, took like two hours. I went, fell asleep. I heard a knock on the door, got up. It was Mr. Otis. He opened the little slot, handed me, a, um, I'll never forget, it was a blue NIV New Testament. You know the, uh, the New Testaments that have like the uh, Proverbs and Psalm in the back? Yes, yes. It was one of those kind of Bibles. And on the cover, it said, there's hope for you, Jesus cares. And I remember just saying, where should I read? He said, man, just start in Matthew. And, and you should read one proverb a day to make you wise. And I was like, okay, cool. That's amazing. And I sat down. I don't know if it took two days, but I know I did not put the Bible down. I sat down on my bed and I began reading from Matthew 1, verse 1, all the way to the book of Hebrews. I didn't stop reading until I got to Hebrews where it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Wow. And I don't even know how to describe it. I felt like a guy that woke up from a coma. And I, I gave my life to the Lord right there in the cell. I just, I just, I dropped on my face. I remember weeping. I confessed every sin I ever committed. I could even think of. And I gave my life to the Lord there in that cell. And I haven't been the same since. And I'm so thankful for that because um, even as a pastor now and as I, as I serve now, one of the things that drives me is the dependency upon God and mm-hmm. his word. Yep. Because I didn't go to a church service. I didn't hear a sermon. I was a high school dropout. I, I dropped out after the ninth grade. I had an extremely low reading level. You had every excuse to water the word down. And God got his word in my hand and his word was enough. That's amazing. Like, and so, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. just, I, I just, I imagine just others just, wanting to weep this is it's just such a powerful and amazing testimony of god's power through his word and his faithfulness and um and i'm i'm and the faithfulness of that guard to do you still speak with the guard have you you know what's crazy i never saw him after that really i don't even know if he even knows i came to faith in christ i've got to find him I know. Right? We've I mean, got to find him. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't even, I, I've always worried. About, I said, you know, I'm going to see that brother in glory. because, yeah. And that just shows, too, right, is that, um, you know, um, Paul says, I planted Apollos water, but yes. God gave it. Yes, yes, yes. Sometimes you plant and then somebody else sees the harvest, right? But he, he had no clue that he was just trying to be faithful at work. To a young guy that he probably thought, you know, it's like, man, here's this guy. He's a Muslim right now. You know, he's looking at the death penalty. Yeah. He seems pretty angry all the time. He has a little reading level. But you know what? I'm going to give him a Bible. That's amazing. And is God's word enough? That's the question. Is God's word enough to change that young man's heart? Do you need to water it down? Well, you have to- already told us the end. And we, we, of course, know this from your intro. You are now a pastor. But how do you get from being in a prison cell in solitary confinement reading your Bible to, okay, I'm now in Chicago pastoring a church. Where, where, how do you get from yeah, there to yeah, there? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. My lawyer at the time was Jewish yeah. and he saw the whole conversion and he thought it was jailhouse religion. Cause he was like, yeah, everybody goes to jail. 
and finds God. And all. But here's the crazy thing. Um, after like two, three months of just reading, I mean, I was devouring the word every day. I remember, I remember crying when they finally gave me an Old Testament because I had the New Testament for the longest. I was like, there's more, you know? So yeah, I, I was devouring uh, my Gideon's New Testament Bible. So that's what they had in there. Um, but it, it, my Lord saw the whole process and God was changing my heart. And I remember feeling convicted that because when you get arrested, what happens sometimes is people plead not guilty and they try to go to trial and win. And I remember I'm praying, asking God to help me get out the situation. And I felt convicted because it's like, how can you ask God to help you get out of this and you to be found not guilty of a crime you're guilty of? You know, and so if you truly are repentant then you need to take ownership and confess. And that's what I did. I went to my lawyer and was like, hey, can you tell the district attorney and the judge that I would like to plead guilty because I'm a Christian now and part of repentance is taking responsibility and I can't ask God to help me in a situation that I'm not willing to own and repent of. They thought it was stupid, but I wanted to honor the Lord. And my lawyer was like, well, you know, you got a good chance of winning. It wasn't about winning. I just had an overwhelming feeling that when I stood in front of the judge, I was standing in front of God. Like he impressed that in front of my heart. Not that the God, the judge is God, but that that's who, like that's who I'm truly standing in front of. Yep. That's who you are ultimately going to give an account to. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just the judge in front of me. Mm -hmm. It's the Lord. And so I was able to ask um, the victim, um, the young man who lost his life, who um, I just want to say does not does, did not deserve it. His life doesn't matter if he was a drug dealer or not. He was a young man creating the image of God with a young daughter. And, you know, I, he did not deserve and that. That's something that still aches my heart um, to this day. But I was able to look at his family and ask for forgiveness, tell them that, I, you know, I've turned to Christ. I was able to look at the district attorney and ask for forgiveness and the judge. And the judge gave me mercy. They all gave me mercy. They all gave me mercy. I ended up with six to 15 years for third degree murder and five years probation for robbery. So basically six to 20 years. Went up state to state prison, um, got my GED and became a GED tutor working in the prison, helping men get their GED and learn a trade. And by God's grace, I made parole first time up after six years in 2008. So you did spend six years. I was trying to do the math. I did six years. Yeah, I did six years in prison. I got arrested um, March 15th, 2002, and I came home March 17th, 2008. Okay. And uh, I came home. The world was a lot different. Everybody had cell phones and laptops, and I was trying to catch up, but got plugged into a really strong church called Christian Stronghold Baptist Church in West Philly, and uh, dove in into the deep end, got plugged into small groups there, was serving with the youth ministry, and they had a pretty large church. The church at the time was about like 4,000 people. They had a pretty large youth ministry, so I was working with young men, just trying to minister to guys like myself, who may not have their dad in their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I met my wife. She was ministering to and serving the young women in high school ministry, and I served there faithfully for three years, began teaching um, Bible study. Um, but one thing I didn't mention is when I came to faith in Christ, I don't want to describe it, but I, I simultaneously, my call came at the same time. Like I felt an overwhelming burden for ministry and serving the Lord and preaching the gospel. I just thought I'd be in prison for the rest of my life. And I actually got to a place where I was okay with that because mm-hmm. I had, I understood the response of like the, the, what I did. I just, I'm be honest. I never had a category for ever talking to you. Ever. 
And I say that to people, they don't realize, like, just like when you're in prison for a home invasion homicide and you're looking at the yeah. death penalty, you don't think about home. Yeah. And it's a picture of the gospel of God Gosh. gave me grace for something that I didn't deserve physically. And he did the same thing for me spiritually. And it's, it's so anyway, I, I, when I was at the church, I went to the leadership and said, you know, everything I told you, was like, I feel called to, you know, preach the gospel and I feel called to pastor. And, and, and they affirmed all of it. And their, their, their um, response was, um, we think you should get some more theological education. And so that led me moving to Chicago to go to um, Moody Bible Institute because one of the pastors came from Moody. I had a wall, though, because um, I don't know if you're aware, but if you're on parole, you're not allowed to move to any other state under any circumstances, particularly school. Hmm. So you can get accepted to Yale, Harvard. You're not allowed to go there and move there if you're on state parole. So I was so discouraged because I applied to Moody, got accepted, and then was told I was not allowed to go hmm. unless you have family in that state. Right when I applied to Moody via Facebook, I ended up finding my father that I never met that abandoned me. Wow. And they let me go to Chicago because my father was there. That's And amazing. simultaneously, when I went to Moody <laughs> to visit as a prospective student, I hung out with my father. That's amazing. That's yeah, so it's amazing how God got me back amazing. to uh, Chicago. I mean, and, can, no yeah. one can... I, I'm... I'm I'm obviously without words because I just think that's it's amazing. No one can. Yeah. How do you doubt yeah. the sovereignty and goodness of God in situations yeah. like I just and I have, I just I don't know. So here's a question for you: What happened with your mother when you converted? Oh, my mother was happy. She yeah. was she was ecstatic. You know, I mean, it's interesting because um, prior to coming to faith in Christ. I mean, I was the kid that was always arguing with his mom. I mean, it's just bad. You probably just want to smack me upside my head. She's like, you don't talk to your mom like that. I've maybe, since I've been, I'm, I'm 36, came to faith in Christ when I was 19. I've maybe disagreed with my mom once hmm. since then. And even it's not even close to anything tension. Like, I, would, I refuse to even disrespect my mother in any shape or form. Yeah. So we, our relationship completely changed once I came to faith in Christ. And um, so I, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been great, um, you know, so I, I, I can't complain at all, but yeah, that's how I got to Chicago and that's how I got to Moody and I was working at Moody, um, came on staff at a church called Harvest Bible Chapel, was at a location downtown, um, ended up getting hired as a family pastor um, part-time. So half the time I was working as a janitor at Moody and another time as a uh, pastor, and um, I, I felt an overwhelming call to church planting and diversity. And so I was thinking about my wife and I were praying about going back to the East Coast. We were thinking about maybe like New York or like DC. And long story short, God ended up making it very clear that, well, Chicago is a big city. There's a lot of diversity here, and there's a lot of need here. And there's neighborhoods here, like the neighborhood I came from. And He brought so many people and circumstances together. And then once I graduated Moody, I was able to, um, with the team, uh, plant Chicago West Bible Church in the Austin neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. And we've, we've been here ever since. So the plan was not to stay here. And, um, but that's, that's where I'm at now. And so now I, um, 
I didn't even mention. Oh man, I can't believe I skipped it. My wife and I got married. I was gonna <laughs> ask, but I was gonna wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. So when I came home from prison, which is another thing, um, God's grace, I get choked up. Yeah. Because when I was serving in a church, the men there was discipling me, and I had never dated a Christian woman before. I, I went to prison as an unbeliever, so coming out, just navigating that was just new to me. And I remember asking her mom for permission oh. to approach her, and her mom gave me so much grace. And her mom knew my background, and her mom and Danielle, my wife, they never judged me. And I think about this, would you let a guy who came or just came out of prison for murder date your daughter? It's a good question. <laughs> right? I yeah. Mean, think about it. I mean, yeah. So, but seriously, they truly lived out no condemnation. That's amazing. For those who are in Christ. And we got we, we got married. We courted for two years, went through premarital, got married, and we moved to Chicago about six months after I got after we got married. So we were in Chicago fresh, and uh, we, we, we only thought we were going to be there for my school. But God had other plans. So That's we said amazing. we were going to go to Chicago with open hands, though. We we did say that uh, when we got married that we will keep our hands open and wherever the Lord sends, whatever he puts in or takes out, we'll just trust him with it. So you, if I have my math correct, you have now been a Christian for 17 years. Is that about right? And, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So it... Your conversion was pretty radical, and you're on fire for the Lord. You're excited to be in ministry. Now that you have been an, um, a, a Christian for, for quite a while, have you struggled with doubt or fear since then? Or is it that same zeal and excitement? Of course, we have our wanes. We go through seasons. But I do yeah. wonder, because this, this, we're talking about enduring in the faith. So I'm one, I do wonder, yeah. um, how have you endured? How have you kept going? Yeah, um, the biggest struggle that I've had, and maybe listeners can um, uh, think about this, is there's times I have really wrestled with guilt. Hmm. Um, because um, someone losing their life is not a small thing to uh, to feel, especially when you're at the hands of that person. Um, I look at David a lot differently with Uriah. I look at Paul and Stephen a lot differently. I look at Moses and the Egyptian a lot differently. I often wonder sometimes if Paul's throwing the flesh is actually guilt. Hmm. You know, I don't know. But I do know there's that's, a weight that comes. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's that's insightful. It very well could have been. Wow. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know, right? But yeah. the point is, there's there's a weight that comes with, um, you know, if you if you have an abortion or you choose to end a life, that that you know, there's there's no changing that. Yeah. And that's 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 hard sometimes. So I I wrestle with that. And then the second thing I really wrestle with, oh, I, I, actually I'm preaching through Ephesians now, just talking to the church about it, is identity, because I have to still deal with the consequences of my past. And I have to, when I, when I came home from prison, I'll never forget, I went on, I stopped counting, there's about 67 or 68 job interviews I went on, and I got rejected for all of them because of my criminal record. Yeah. Everything would go great, and then it would get to the question that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And I would, you have to say yes if you have. The yeah. next question is, please explain. Most people don't have to talk about the fact that they were alcohol, alcoholic on their job interview or what they did when they were in high school. Right. But it was different for me. 
And so the hard part for me was walking in my identity as God sees me and not as my past and the stain of my sin, you know, not putting my identity in that yeah. because I still was on parole. I still, even now I'm on probation. I did nine years of parole in two different states. I've had over 20 different parole officers and I'm two and a half years in on five years of probation. And I got, well, two and a half more years, I'll be done. That's amazing. But, yeah. you know, to the state of Pennsylvania, I am inmate FQ2627. Right. You know, and the the hard part sometimes even as Christians is sometimes we have to deal with the residue from decisions that we've made before. It's true. And not in the struggle to not put our identity in that and persevere because sometimes the consequences, you still got to feel that sting. Yeah. Of a decision you made 20 years ago and persevering in that way has been what has been probably the, the, the biggest challenge to me. Because um, what comes with that consequence is also the way people treat you and interact with you. These are things that you have struggled with. And I imagine to a lesser degree, there are people who are listening or maybe it's similar who have experienced deep guilt from they've maybe they've had abortions or they were um, or they brought someone to have an abortion or maybe maybe they. Um, you damaged your family. You damaged, had an affair. Yeah. You did something. Affairs. There's loads of talk things. To you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you, yeah. so tell us what is what are a few ways that you've dealt with guilt? The guilt, I think, is something I, I would be. I th- I think something that you're gonna you're also gonna live with for potentially. But how do yeah. you endure through this guilt that you're experiencing? Yeah, I do think. Um, one of my professors at Moody taught me that the blessing of lament and that there's freedom in lamenting without, you know, because there's, there's nothing wrong. For example, with um, no one would fault a mother who every year on her son's birthday, who passed away, just spends a moment lamenting. No one's going to say, Hey, you need to get over that. Right. But we don't, we don't have to live there, but it's okay to lament that it's okay to, to grieve. And so I think there, there's, there's a, aspect of lamenting that God has allowed us to be able to express grief. And, um, you know, one of the most uh, intense moments on the, is on Jesus on the cross, my God, my yeah. God, why have you forsaken me? Man, that's pain right there. So there's, there's that. But also, um, it's interesting that one thing that God has really been working on me, I actually just preached on this past week on Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul begins telling them how they yep. were. And he, and he speaks about them, their sins in the past tense. Such were one of you, such, such were some of you, or when you once lived this way. But whenever he refers to them now, it's always completely different. Even when, And I realize I have to stop talking about myself in a way that God doesn't That's talk good. about me. Yeah. I have to stop preaching bad theology to myself. Mm-hmm. Because when God addresses his children in Scripture, you see words like beloved, chosen, holy, blameless, royal priesthood, holy nation, right? You see, this is how he addresses us. He doesn't, you know, and and I think there's an aspect where um, when Paul talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that I really had to keep meditating on that and meditating on that and and taking thoughts captive and saying, nope, that's not who I am. Um, That's not what the Lord thinks about me. And I didn't realize how much of my identity was wrapped up in man and what man Mm, thinks about me. That's good. 
Because think about this, right? I mean, when Paul's converted now, um, Stephen's sister or brother or mom might not be too happy about Paul's conversion or, or still oh, not yeah. want to talk to him because he's right there. There's real pain there, right? Paul really hurt. And they were people. F- fearful as well. Remember he didn't, they didn't want to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally, right. But then when you, when you, when you, when you look at Paul talking um, about himself, he's, you know, I, I have been crucified mm-hmm. and the life that I now live, yeah, right. He talks Christ. about it with yeah. Christ and everything is in Christ and union with Christ. And and I know Paul maybe had to wrestle with him. I got some questions for him when I see him in glory. You know, brother, help me think through how you went through that, you know. And so I just realized that I need to be transformed, changed by renewing my mind. And renewing my mind is the way that I think and begin to think how God thinks. And that starts with how God sees me. That's amazing. Chosen before the foundation of the world that he loved me. He knew all that would come. He set his heart upon me. Yes, the world may label me. The world cuts up, you know, puts us in ethnic categories and uh, political categories and age and financial categories and, you know, convicted felon, non-convicted, everything, right? And uh, God says, yeah, but you're my son. Mm. And if, if, if I be for you, who can be against you? If I love you, that's all that matters. That's so good. And so I just, God has been, he has worked me over to that place. And I wish you would have said it happened overnight, but it's like, you know, four steps forward, three steps back. What is four steps forward, three steps back. W- and uh, that's been the biggest issue for me has been wrestling through identity. No, that's, that is so good and so refreshing for anyone and all of us. We all need to remind ourselves. There's something that you said that was a phrase right. that I want to... <laughs> I think it needs to be on a plaque, but it's, it's, you said something to the effect of, I have to stop ad- addressing myself with bad theology. <laughs> and so yeah. we can, we can speak bad theology to our hearts and to our minds. Yeah. And so renewing our minds will help us endure and run this race with endurance. That's this race that is set before us. Yeah. We don't have anyone to compare God to. And you, you talk about fear, there used to be an early on and maybe like the first 10 years, maybe even more than that. But there was, there was a there was a fear that like when I messed up and I sinned, now God's going to pay me back for what I've done. And God had to show me, no, that's at the cross. That's, that's left at the cross. Who the son has set free is free indeed. And and uh, that that was if you talk about fear. There was always this um, this idea that it's, it's too good to be true that I can experience such grace, because that's not how the story's supposed to end. The guy who committed murder doesn't get to ride off into the sunset, and I, I and it was tied in with guilt and all these different things. Man, why should I have two sons and a wife when this young man lost his life and he had a daughter? These are the things that the Satan would put into my mind, and some of them are legit questions. But God kept bringing me back to. You don't understand what grace is. It's giving you what you don't deserve. You're absolutely right you don't deserve it. But I'm lavishing it upon you. That's the gospel. Whether you want to embrace it or not, that's the gospel. And I'm doing it out of intense love that I have for you. Thanks for listening to Stories of Sacred Endurance. If you are enjoying it, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That will help more people discover and hopefully be encouraged by this podcast. 
and be sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Sacred Endurance, from InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity Press is offering podcast listeners 30% off the book through March 2020. Go to ivypress.com and use the code SACRED30 for 30% off and free shipping on your copy of Sacred Endurance. Thanks for listening.